Welcome to the Redbird Report. Coming to you from the Vedette offices on Illinois State's campus, Tom Preisman alongside Mike Mara. Thank you so much for tuning in. A lot to get to on today's episode of the Redbird Report. It's a packed edition. We'll talk about women's basketball. Uh, they open up tonight. By the time you hear this, they might have already played, but as we record this on Wednesday afternoon, they prepare. I just saw Northern Kentucky's bus driving by. The Norse. The Norse coming to town. Also, men's basketball, really important game for them tomorrow as they open up the Puerto Rico, is it to the tip-off? The Puerto Rico tip-off. Being played in, in Myrtle Beach, yeah, South I'm Carolina. Sure the name. I, mean, I, get you, I, don't, I mean, I'm sure there's naming rights involved, but it's like, oh, let's go to the Puerto Rico tip-off, and we're sitting in Myrtle Beach. Obviously, they moved it because of the, 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 the terrible storm down there, and I think the hope is they can return it to Puerto Rico sooner rather right. than later. Uh, kind but, of, kind of. Just before we get off, I mean, kind of unfortunate. Like you got to, like think about the guys. Like say you're a senior and you won't get to do a tournament next year, and you're looking forward to going to Puerto Rico. Obviously, you know you feel bad for the situation Puerto Rico's going through, but like. I don't know, kind of a disappointing to be like, oh, we're going to Myrtle Beach now, we're diverting, but, you know. But that's actually and besides the point. I don't think they're sitting there thinking, oh, I can't believe I didn't get to go to Puerto Rico when they have basketball all week. The main concern, of course, is the people of Puerto Rico. I will say, definitely did not help Illinois State that they have to open up against mm-hmm. South Carolina now in South Carolina. That becomes pretty much a de facto home game. It's just about two and a half hours away from the campus of South Carolina. I mean, Dan talked about it a little bit. It's going to be, you're not going to see a lot of students on campus, especially because Thanksgiving break is coming up, but... You're going to have a lot of South Carolina fans there. Yeah, I mean, this is a team coming off a of Final Four appearance. We'll get to them uh, coming up later in the podcast, but let's start with the main entree, the piece de resistance, if you will. It is the Illinois State football team season on the line against North Dakota State. Projections right now have them outside the NCAA tournament. Uh, a win gets the man, I would assume, pretty much in everyone's projections. Uh, so it's basically a playoff game for Illinois State, but... You didn't want to start the playoffs this early, but that's the position the Redbirds are in. Yeah, and I, and I don't know how you feel. I think it's I think it's win or go home. Obviously, there's people that are skeptical that say you know six and five might get you. And I've seen a lot of people that have been writing for the FCS, you know, football, the conference, and the league and whatnot that have said you know six and five you play the waiting game. But with Illinois State's resume, you're probably out. But nobody's like saying for sure they're out. I, I mean, and if this game went like eight overtimes and was maybe <laughs> the greatest college football game ever played, and you said, you know, Illinois State played back-to-back overtime games, and one of them was eight overtimes against North Dakota State, <laughs> and maybe, I, it just seems unlikely. The, their best win is South Dakota, which is looking less and less like a, a top-10 team. I mean, they might lose their third game of the year. They might lose their back-to-back games because they're at South Dakota State to end the season, which, I mean, not I easy. lose that one. Uh, and then after that, what's your best win after that? I mean, Eastern Illinois? Uh, do you give them any credit for a Youngstown State win? Oh, that's true. I forgot. Do you, get, do you give them – but, I mean, Youngstown State's down big time. I mean, they're going to miss the playoffs. They're yeah. in the playoffs. So uh, I, I do. Credit? I would give them, and they were ranked at the time. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a team that took Pittsburgh to the brink. I think that's a pretty good Youngstown State team. Even though the, I, I felt like if they won that Illinois State game, Youngstown State, they're probably in the tournament. Uh, I thought they were going to get in. Honestly, uh, obviously that didn't work out for them. They lost that game in pretty ha- convincing fashion. But you know, down the stretch they've played better. So I, I give them credit for that one. And then Eastern is you know the best win after that. And then you're looking at Butler, Indiana State, and Missouri State. And, and, the, and the other thing, none is, of those are inspiring. We've been talking about how Northern Arizona looks like not that bad of a loss. Obviously, it's a 21 point loss. But I mean, 
Northern Arizona lost the conference game. They're six and one, seven wins overall. Uh, and we've talked about it up leading up to this point now that kind of seeming like a, seemed like a good loss, even though you did lose by twenty one. Uh, but you know they're in a conference title this this conference title game this weekend against Southern Utah and I think if they lose that the committee hasn't been very nice to Northern Arizona I mean it took them half the season to get into the top 25 granted they did lose their first two games um, but one of those was at FBS Arizona and the other one was Western Illinois who beat them by 18 I believe it was 38 20 38 to 20 and you know but regardless I don't see you know Illinois State's resume being very good if they lose this game to North Dakota State. I think it's win or go home, and uh, I mean it just doesn't look very good. I mean you got the nine and one Bison coming in, nine and one Bison. Their one loss was to South Dakota State, who the Redbirds just played very tough. You went to the weekly press conference. You've been talking to people around the program. What's you? What's the feeling uh, over there in the Kaufman Football Building before this matchup with the Bison? Well, Brock's back actually said that after the loss to South Dakota State, it was the most upbeat his team has been after a loss. Which he said he was kind of expecting it to go the other way, especially considering that this this week now turns into a one game playoff. If you win, you're in. You lose, you probably go home. Um, so he said, you know, the team's been pretty upbeat, pretty excited to get back to practice. He said on Sunday they were pretty anxious to get back out on the field, look at the film, um, and and they're excited for this. This you know, this is the first time since the national title game uh, in '15 that the Bison have come to Illinois State. So, um, and these seniors obviously vividly remember that. So there's a lot of guys that Brock's back. Brock's back said. Are chomping at the bit to get in, but you mentioned that loss to South Dakota State for for North Dakota State, and I let's just can we talk about how lucky South Dakota State got? I mean, the Bison turned the ball over five times in that game. You're not going to beat Illinois State turning the ball over five times if you're North Dakota State. I mean, a win's a win, though, Mike. Correct, and that's and I'm not taking anything away from that. Obviously, can't take anything. Away. You, you can't, and, and listen, that's all the Redbirds need. If if North Dakota State gets careless with the football. Uh, it's an opportunity for Illinois State to maybe take advantage. And we brought this up on Sunday's show. One advantage the Redbirds have is they'll definitely come out with more of a sense of urgency than this North Dakota State team. At least you would expect them to because of the fact that this is their season. North Dakota State, obviously they'd like to get a bye. A win gets them a bye. But they're still in the tournament no matter what happens. So not as high of stakes for North Dakota State as there are for the Redbirds. There are stakes, but they're not as high. Uh, and you're hoping, if you're Illinois State, that you catch North Dakota State flat, maybe on the road, and you can take advantage early. See see the, the game plan that you used against South Dakota. Yeah, I kind of think North Dakota State, as this week's gone on, I've kind of thought about this game quite a bit. I mean, I'm excited to go cover it. Um, one, just because being North Dakota State, you know, obviously being able to see that type of a program uh, is pretty exciting. But uh, there's a lot riding on this game. Uh, but the more and more I think about it, I think North Dakota State uh, might actually come out a little flat here. I mean, they've already clinched a sh- at least a share of the Missouri Valley Conference title. If they win on Saturday, it's, you know, it's theirs uh, solely. So I-, I don't know. I think they do come out a little bit flat, but. We're just going to have to see. I think Illinois State's going to come out with a sense of urgency that you haven't seen this season. The one thing I will say is Broxback's not naming a quarterback. That's the one thing that somebody asked him yesterday, and he said, you won't find out until Saturday. So he's not. I, I think it's going to be Malachi Broadnax. I agree. I think it's Malachi, but he's. I think he's just playing it close to the chest to try to throw off uh, the head coaching, the, the, the coaching staff over there and at North Dakota State. So how much do you prepare for Colby? I mean, because the thing if I. I'm the, if I'm the Bison, I, I definitely maybe put it in one game. 
But I'm I'm spending most of my time watching that South Dakota State tape from Broadnicks. I think also you have to keep in mind they've played Jake Colby before the the Bison. Last year. They did play him last year. You never it wasn't played close. It was a 21 point game. No, you you you. you You've already seen Jake Colby. You have not seen Malachi Brodnick. I'm spending most of my time preparing for Brodnick's knowing that Jake Colby is a, pro, uh, is a pretty typical Missouri Valley quarterback. You know, whatever you want to say about him. There's a lot of quarterbacks similar to Jake Colby. Malachi Brodnick is a whole different animal. Uh, a guy you really have to prepare for very uniquely, and I would spend most of my time preparing for him. I think the best-case scenario, and again, you I've been very critical of this team all season, but very critical of Jake Colby. I think the best-case scenario for North Dakota State is that Jake Colby gets in the game. Uh, you look at just how this offense you know, seemingly always finds a way to stall when he's at, at you know, under center. That's the best-case scenario for them is if Jake Colby's playing because you're not going to see them run the ball uh, like you do again with Malachi Broadnax and all the, the read option. And the one thing I like to see, I don't, you know, they don't run the speed option very much, and that's, uh, I don't know, that's something I, I think I would you know, make more use of if I had Malachi Broadnax and we talk about how good these backs are for Illinois State. I mean, you you need to establish the run game here on Saturday if you want to beat the Bison. Here's what the game notes say that were given out at Tuesday's press conference. Jake Colby listed as the starter, but there is the or. We, we alluded to on Sunday's show uh, a lot of times when teams don't want to announce a starter, they'll, they'll go with the or. First time in my entire time covering Illinois State, I've seen an or listed on the depth chart. A lot of other teams use them all over the place. Red, Redbirds are pretty good about naming who their starter is. So while they're usually pretty good at naming the starter this time, they have not. They've gone with the or, and I, everyone expects to see Broadnax, but I... You know, you can't guarantee it, and that certainly is something the Redbirds are trying to use their advantage in throwing off the Bison. I would also kind of expect to see Jay Colby this week. I thought Brock did say he had all intentions of playing both Colby and Malachi on Saturday at South Dakota State, and it just so happened that. He felt good where the offense was at. He thought that Malachi was doing a good job controlling the offense, controlling the, the pace of the game. Um, and he said he's going to try and play both this weekend. So I will say, I think I, you should expect to see Jay Colby, um, but I think Malachi Broadnax will start the game for you. Uh, but this is a defense that's very good. I mean, they've only allowed, they allow 12.9 points a game. I mean, this this defense is, is very good. I, by far, it's the best team they're going to play all year, and that's what we said all along is that North Dakota State was going to be the best team that Illinois State's seen all season long. But the thing about it is it's do or die. I, I think Illinois State comes out with, some, with a sense of urgency, and uh, I, it's just going to be inter- I, I don't know how, how you throw your registered freshman quarterback in this. I think that's the biggest storyline for me right now is how is he going to react? I mean, you play last week and you're like, okay, if we win, we're in. If we lose, it you know, creates a one-game playoff scenario, but there's some cushion because you have another week. Now if you're Malachi Broadnax, you don't have another week, say you lose. So I, I'm interested to see how he'll react to the big game and the big stage. Redbirds are home. A large crowd expected at Hancock Stadium. Final time they'll likely cheer on the Redbirds this season. Unlikely they're going to get a home game, even if they do make the NCAA tournament. So this will be the right final time the Redbirds are at home. After this, if they want to make a national championship run, it'll be on the road. This has been a very good home team, a suspect road team. And Mike, your prediction for this game, Illinois State and North Dakota State. Uh, you talked about Illinois State a lot before we get to your prediction, just a little bit on the Bison. 
Uh, well, Easton Stick uh, is, is a very talented quarterback. It seems like no matter who they have at quarterback, whether it was Carson Wentz a couple years ago, right to Easton Stick, uh, they don't miss a beat under center. Uh, this is a kid who people, I think, forget that his freshman year, Carson Wentz went down, and he had to go and lead them uh, while he was gone. And I believe he only lost one game or two games that season, um, and they still made the playoffs. Uh, and Stick's good. Uh, he's coming off a career week. Uh, I mean, he was named – FCS uh, Player of the, of the Week a couple times here this year. He's the NBC Offensive Player of the Week this past week. Uh, he's very good. And Stick was a guy uh, who had Big Ten offers from Nebraska, from uh, from Rutgers. I mean, this is a guy that you know could have been a Big Ten quarterback. Instead, shows you the recruiting strength that North Dakota State has. They get him to come to Fargo instead, and out of Omaha, Nebraska, the guy's been a very, very good starter. Now, really, almost, you'd say, in his third campaign. I know that freshman year, he sort of was a more in relief. But now, this is, it's I think, team. I, this is, I think this is the time for Easton Stick to establish himself in the lineage of North Dakota State quarterbacks who win national championships. This is the year he's going to, if he wants to, this year he's got to do it. Yeah, and I think, the, I think they've got a good shot, obviously, when you're sitting at 9-1 and one and you're looking at you know Illinois State here week the last week of the season. Uh, you go into the playoffs 10-1, you grab that bye. I think a guy like Stick can really take advantage of that bye week, healthy himself up and uh, you know poise himself for a national championship. Running this team, obviously, North Dakota State's always a national championship contender. Uh, but the one thing I will say, is uh, I asked Brock about the defense of North Dakota State just because they are very good. I mean, like I said, 12.9 points a game. I mean, they don't allow offenses to score on them. And uh, he said they're very I mean, they're very athletic, and you have to earn everything against them. They're not going to give you anything. Their defense is not going to make mistakes, and if they do, you have to cash in. Um, so it, it's going to be a tough task for, for Illinois State this weekend. And it was really the first time that I've seen Brock Speck somewhat talk humbly about a team that's coming into Hancock Stadium or them going uh, to face on the road. Usually he gives his old little spiel about they do this well, they do this well, they execute, blah, blah, blah. This week, I mean, he, he talked about North Dakota State as if they were the prestigious bison that they are. And uh, uh, for me, I took that away as far as the fact that he was he really seemed humbled by this team. Easton Stick is no Carson Wentz, let's make that clear. But a much more capable runner than Wentz ever was and someone you really have to watch for on the ground. Last season ran for nearly 700 yards on the ground. This year is already over 400, averaging about 43 yards a game, which is, you know, especially when you factor in sacks, count negatively towards rushing yards for quarterbacks. You know, that's a very impressive stat for a quarterback. Really, he's not doing that much through the air. Only 180 yards a game right now at 1,800 yards for the season. 17 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, but a really capable quarterback. And you put it all together, he's averaging over 225 yards of total offense, and that's a good number for a quarterback to do, and obviously we haven't even talked about the defense yet for the Bison, and that's another thing they hang their hat up on there in Fargo. And honestly, I mean, when Easton, Easton Sick doesn't have to do much when their defense is playing so well. Uh, I mean, this is a defense that's not going to give you anything. I, I fully expect them to be prepared for James Robinson and Markel Smith. I don't think Illinois State's going to be able to run the ball at, at, at will as they have in the past. I think Illinois State's going to have to win this game through the air. If they if they intend to win this game, I, I think they're going to have to win it through the air. Uh, I just don't see a possibility uh, that they're able that North Dakota State comes in here and Illinois State can run the ball on them. I mean, you've seen what the Western Illinois defense did to them. Uh, I mean, they did not allow Markel Smith or James Robinson any type of room to run or get free and break loose. And, you know, what? 
Western Illinois defense is good. I mean, Western's you know kind of turned their season around. I mean, like they they were floating around the top twenty five throughout the season, but obviously North Dakota State's no Western Illinois, and uh, so I think if Illinois State wants to win this game, they're going to have to air it out, and that's the thing that North Dakota State's going to force them to do. If you want to, if you're going to beat Illinois State, you have to stop them on the ground, and, and North Dakota State's going to do that. Prediction time as the Bison come to normal Illinois. And for a lot of these seniors, the final time they'll play at Hancock Stadiums in their career. And if they want it to be a happy send-off, they're going to have to take down a top-10 team in North Dakota State. Mike, we'll start with your prediction. Well, I think it's going to be a lot closer. And, and this is than some people think. And this is, As Lee Corso would say, much closer than the experts think. <laughs> and the thing is, is... It's weird for me because I've been pretty, like I said, all, all season long, I've been pretty critical of this team. I mean, I've predicted a two-touchdown game last week at South Dakota State. Uh, I, I I thought they would lose by, I think I had it damn near three touchdowns to South Dakota at home on homecoming. Um, and so I think this, I'm going to give this team a little bit of credit here. Uh, I think they keep it close. I don't think they can defeat North Dakota State. I think North Dakota State is just all around too talented. Even if North Dakota State comes in here and takes the Redbirds a little bit lightly at first, I still just don't think Illinois State's good enough to, to take advantage of that. Um, I think I think North Dakota State wins 34-31 in just a, a close shootout. And I know we just got Nate Head, unfortunately, couldn't join us. He's sick today, but he just sent in his football preview. He made a prediction. How about you tell us what Mr. Head said? Nate Head's a little bit more optimistic than I am. Nate Head has the upset. Uh, I didn't get into the specifics of what his prediction was, but the score prediction he had was Illinois State 28, North Dakota State 24. So he's got the upset, and that puts the Redbirds in. So, And he's always been the more optimistic out of the three of us about this team. So I don't know. We'll see, but he's got the upset. Last week I predicted predicted the upset. Redbirds came inches away. A few inches on that football. Maybe that field goal misses. Maybe a couple things change in the end of that game, but Redbirds could not pull out the victory in Brookings now. They're back home against North Dakota State. Can they pull off the upset against a top-ranked Bison team? They cannot. 31-17 Bison over the Redbirds. I think the Redbirds give a good but not great effort and I think you need a Herculean effort to beat a team as good as North Dakota State. And I think this will be a season sort of of what ifs for this Redbird team when they look back what if Malachi Brodnick started sooner? What if they had lost that Southern Illinois game? A lot of what ifs will be hanging in the air and hanging over this team if the outcome is as expected on Saturday. But as we've seen, this Redbird football team has the ability to come out and really surprise people. So we'll see if they can do it again on Saturday. Unfortunately, Thanksgiving break, no podcast on Sunday. So if you pay attention to Mike Morrow's tweets. We might even just do a little tweet back and forth after the game just to kind of get some of our thoughts out there. But it, it, it's certainly not ideal for us not to have a podcast. But Mike will have, a, am sure, a column coming out after the game. Especially just because... This would be the first time that Brock's back's not going to the playoffs in, in three in four seasons. This would be his fourth straight trip to the playoffs uh, if they were to beat North Dakota State. So I mean, there's a lot riding on this game, and I unfortunately six and five got you in last year. Six and five, I don't think gets you in this year with the resume. Obviously, at this point, we you don't need us to go through their resume again. We've we've just beat that down to a bush, but. The one thing I will say is we're going to get you know whatever we have to do out there. And, and yes, you could expect one way or the other uh, a column on Saturday afternoon upon the, the close of, of that game. 
Now we turn our attention to men's basketball as they travel to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They take on the Gamecocks. Mike, your thoughts on the matchup against a Final Four team. And I think some people forget that. A Final Four team from not that long ago, last season, South Carolina. Well, in their home state as well, South Carolina. Well, I, I don't think it's a very favorable matchup. And, and after talking to, to Coach Muller <laughs> yesterday, uh, he's optimistic about the team playing well. Uh, he knows South Carolina is going to come out and compete. He said that's one thing that you can always expect out of Frank Martin's teams. Uh, they're 2-0 right now. Uh, so, uh, obviously, this will be their third game. Illinois State one game less into the season. They obviously just have that one game at Florida Gulf Coast. And interesting enough, the one thing that, that kind of struck me that when I was talking to Dan yesterday, the one thing he said is even if they go out and win this tournament, if they don't compete to the level that he wants, he's not going to be happy. He said right now this is a team that still needs to find their identity, find themselves as a program, and if they can't compete, he's not going to be happy because this is, you love winning, but competition is really what he wants. I think Dan Muller would much rather see the team fall in three competitive games in the 50s rather than the Redbirds outscoring teams in the 80-90 to 90 point range that we saw in the Florida Gulf Coast game. Dan Muller is a defensive first coach, and that team did not play with a defensive first mindset last Saturday. No, and that's the one thing that he kept talking about. Is He said that moving from here on out, a team that plays defense like that is going to be unacceptable. He said whoever's playing, if you're wearing an Illinois State jersey, you're going to defend. He said he's never been so upset with a team uh, on the defensive end of the floor. And the thing is, and I asked him, I said, so, so what's so different you know, about the non-conference season this year as, as, as to oppose la- to last year? Because he said this entire non-conference schedule, he said if they go out and lose every single game, he just wants to see them compete. Because realistically, the, game, the season doesn't really start until conference. You could, you could lose every non-conference game and then go win your automatic bid uh, to the NCAA tournament. But obviously you don't want to... I, I don't think people recommend that, though. Correct. That's not recommended. <laughs> It doesn't look so great on a you know on a coaching resume. Say he were to take that elsewhere, but um, the thing he did say is this year's non-conference schedule, and he he realized this early on in the season or early on in the off season, I should say, um, that this would the off season or the non-conference schedule for them is going to be about finding like a, their team identity. Because right now, he said, they're lacking a leader, a true leader. He said, right now, Phil is their most consistent player uh, in practice, in games. He brings the most energy, brings the most, you know, the best work ethic. Um, so he said, Phil's probably the leader right now, but this is a team that's still ra- lacking that vocal leader that Paris Lee was. You know, this is a team that's not senior heavy. They're only seniors, Jaron Martin, the transfer. So he said, they're looking for a leader. They're looking for an identity. And that's what they're going to use this, this non-conference season for is to try and find some sort of identity rather than get the wins. And he said, obviously, if we can go out there and win basketball games, that's great. But he just wants his team to compete. So taking a look at South Carolina, what do we expect out of the Frank Martin coached team? Only team that they've played of note really was an exhibition of Hoops for Hurricane. A lot of teams you saw across the country coming together to do, and, and a lot of times for Puerto Rico. You know, obviously we talked with them at the beginning of the podcast. They played Virginia Tech in a Hoops for Hurricane relief exhibition. And it wasn't close. No, and they were they fell by 19 points to the Hokies, and that's you know Virginia Tech's usually a decent ACC team, but that's a little surprising to see. Since then, they've rebounded. 
a pretty impressive win over Wofford and then followed up with a win over Western Michigan. That's actually technically part of the Puerto Rico tip-off, a non-bracketed game. Uh, taking a look at the Puerto Rico tip-off as well, in case you're curious who else is in this tournament, here are the matchups for round number one. It's a good field. Illinois State and South Carolina tip-off the tournament at 11.30 tomorrow. That's Thursday, as you record this on a Wednesday afternoon. Then Boise State and UTEP tip-off at 2 p.m. These are times are all Eastern, so that's a 10.30 tip here. Correct. By the way, if you're trying to watch that game, Central Time tomorrow. That's on ESPN too, so it's you don't have to go through the online of ESPN three. It'll be on ESPN two tomorrow. Boise State versus UTEP. Obviously, Redbirds will play some the either the winner or loser of that game, depending on the outcome of their matchup. That'll be on ESPN U. If you still want to tune in for that, it'll be a one p.m. tip Central Time. Then we go to the night session, other side of the bracket. Iowa State and Appalachian State at five thirty. That's on ESPNU as well. And then the late tip-off, 8 p.m., 7 p.m. Central, it'll be Tulsa and Western Michigan. And, Mike, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Florida State was originally scheduled to play in this tournament, and I think Western Michigan took their spot. Yeah, as of last year, I believe it was March when they kind of announced this field, Florida State was in. Uh, I it, Pardon me for, for not remembering the reason why they dropped out, but they dropped out and Western Michigan replaced them. Obviously, if Florida State's in this tournament, I mean, that's a whole other field. I mean, you know, none take you know, no offense to Western Michigan, but Florida State in this in this tournament is is a lot better and a lot more attractive than Western Michigan. Especially to be fair, had, though, the, the the unlikely the Redbirds would have played Florida State. You correct. Who's really? I mean, you probably figure Florida State wins one or two games, and, and I mean, you look at the route Illinois State has; they're probably going to drop the first one. Uh, that second one might go either way. You are playing back to back, which is tough. I mean, that's the one thing that about these tournaments is you're playing back to back. I mean, I know you have. You play Thursday, Friday, off Saturday, close out the tournament on Sunday. So you have a day off in between, but still, three games in four days is a lot. Without a doubt. So it'll be interesting to see. That Boise State-UTEP game, I think, is probably their best chance at a win for the Redbirds in that tournament. Uh, just taking a look at this team, we talked to, really broke it down on Sunday, but uh, you know, it'd be really interesting to see the guard play, and still the depth is really a question mark for me, Mike. What 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 do you think just right now when you're looking at this roster of this 2017-18 Redbird team? Uh, they first off, they need to get healthy. I mean, I think we're talking about this team a little bit differently. Uh, not even if David Njai is healthy. I think it, we're talking a lot of different about this team if, if Elijah Clarence is healthy. And I know you've been the big. I've been big on saying they need him back. And I know you you've kind of opposed me about that is saying, you know, what can you really expect out of a freshman who's never played at the Division One level? And I get that, but if he's everything that they've hyped him up to be, uh, then they need him on the floor, um, and, and as soon as possible. And I think, and like I said, apparently so far he's on track to return uh, in early December, I would assume, probably around that Tulsa game. I think the Tulsa game is probably pushing it. Um, but, I mean, early December, he, he's supposed to be back. And, and it, like I said, if he's as good as advertised, then they need him on the floor as soon as possible. But the other thing is the depth. I mean, credit Dan Muller, because I know in, in past years, one of the biggest things people have been skeptical skeptical of is how he substitutes. And I'll tell, and I know we both kind of talked about it on, on Saturday after they lost the Florida Gulf Coast. He kind of handled the substitutions pretty well. I mean, he was getting guys bra- he was getting guys quick breaks. The one thing, though, is, is how deep is your bench. I, I, the problem is you can't afford to throw Isaac Gassman out there for extended minutes, especially not against South Carolina. He can't play in 15 minutes. He played 15 minutes against 
Florida Gulf Coast, and that's probably 12 too many. Correct. And the thing is, is he's going to have to. If you want to rest these guys so you don't wear them out and – like we said, now you're playing three games in four days, so you have to you have to extend that bench a little bit more. Uh, you know, maybe you don't do so against South Carolina. You try and give your best effort there, and then I say all hands on deck. I would not surprise me if we saw the both Matt Hine and uh, Luke Luke Litweller. Yeah, both of them get some playing time in this tournament. In, in what I think even could be possibly, you know, real game situation. Not that the end of game isn't, but you know, competitive game situations. First half, early second half. If Luke, you know, Luke, Luke, Luke Whitweller. Sorry, Luke. I'm, I'm going to get your name one of these days. Uh, if he go out there and give you three minutes on the defensive end, you know, that could be huge. If, if Matt Hine go out there and give you two minutes and give, you know, one of your guards, Keyshawn Evans, two minutes before a media timeout, that could be huge. Uh, so, you know, this is a time where it's all hands on deck, and I think you're going to see every member of this Redbird team play in this tournament. I do, too. And the one thing that I'm actually kind of interested in getting away from, you know, how they're going to, you know, how deep their bench is going to be, is Taylor Berninga had a very nice first game as a Redbird. I mean, as a freshman, Dan said... Expectations have been raised because of that. Yeah, and the thing is, is, you know, Dan said he doesn't expect, you know, freshmen to do much in their first couple games, probably until you start to get into your home schedule and, you know, get the guys back to where they practice, you know, every day, day in and day out. And, you know, it's a a court and and it's baskets that you're comfortable with. So he he said you don't really expect much out of them in the early season. He said Taylor Berninga surprised him in a good way uh, against Florida to golf coast 14 points uh, i believe it was three three pointers it could have been four um but he had a very nice game i'm interested to see if he can keep that up because uh, i did not expect that out of taylor on on saturday so i'm interested to see how he plays i think it'll be uh, i think it'll be a tightly contested first half against south carolina i think at some point south carolina does pull away i mean they did lose a lot they're a different team than that final four program from a year ago but Still, they're just a different caliber of basketball right now, and obviously, you look at the coaching matchup. Uh, uh, Frank Martin is, you know, he 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 did wonders at Kansas State. He's doing them again at South Carolina. I, I just think it's going to be hard for Illinois State with the short bench, uh, with you know the injured roster to kind of stay in and hang with that program. Especially, they're going to be outsized again. I mean, this is a program. South Carolina is a team that. They're going to have a height advantage over Illinois State, even when Phil Fain and Malik Yarber are on the floor. So I think uh, rebounding is going to be an issue, and I think points in the paint are going to be an issue. And those were two things that you know Illinois State was dominated in the stat category against Florida Gulf Coast. So I think that's going to be a problem again versus South Carolina. And I agree with you. I think their best chance for a win is going to be uh, in Friday's game, whether it be Boise State or UTEP. Interesting, though, that you look at the starting lineup for the South Carolina team, uh, and it's not necessarily that you'd be looking at them and say that they have that much more size. They do have two seven-footers on the roster, but with the two seven-footers on the roster, the starting lineup it only goes six two, six three, six five, six nine, six ten. So they have the the front court of six nine, six ten will probably cause issues for Illinois State. We'll see if Frank Martin, knowing the Redbirds don't have size, maybe goes to those seven-footers a little bit more. Both of whom have played limited minutes in the early going, but. For Illinois State, not having David Njai hurts. And really, even going forward, Mike, the question I have for you, does David Njai fix all their problems? It doesn't seem like David Njai is going to be able to fix a negative 20 rebounding margin. No, I mean, we're talking about a guy who averaged just over four rebounds last year. I mean, this is, it's not like he's the be-all, end-all, like all of a sudden David Njai steps back on the floor and he's grabbing rebounds left and right. So I don't think he fixes much. I mean, we've seen how, and you don't want to be super critical over here, but, you know, 
We've also seen his offensive game. I mean, we've seen how often last year he had an easy layup or even a dunk. I mean, we go back to that Arch Madness game against Wichita State, the, the title game, and he, you know, Paris Lee found him, and all all Enjai had to do was slam it home, and he goes for a layup instead, and it rims out. And Paris, I, me- I just remember this happening right in front of me, and Paris grabbed him and said, "Dunk the bleeping ball." He said. Slam it home. You're you're seven foot, man. Just so I, we've seen how David Njai plays, and on, you know you hate to to say it about a guy, but in my time here at Illinois State, for as big as he is and in 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 athletic as you can be, I mean he, I know he's not the most athletic guy. We've seen him run up and down the floor, but his performances have, have been pretty underwhelming. Uh, I would say, and, and so I don't think he he comes in and he gives you help. He gives you. I, I think the hope is that it, at some point he's going to take a leap forward. Um, people are probably hoping this is junior season that he's an upperclassman now that he would be taking a leap forward. So it'll be interesting to see if David Njai is able to take that leap forward, but continues to be injury plagued and it's hard to be able to get enough playing time. It seems like anytime he's rounding himself into form, it's by the end of the season, and at that point it's over. You know, last season he didn't come back into the Hawaii tournament. This year, we don't know when we're going to see him, and that really hurts the front court. Even with even with him in the front court, though, they're still probably missing one big body up front. It seems like they don't have uh, a whole lot of size, and you can't even blame them on the transfers. You know, people like Zach Copeland who are not here. That's not their fault. You know, I mean, obviously Dan Muller was working with a difficult situation after Deontay Hawkins and Mikhail McIntosh left, but. Not that much size, and you see the first move they do in the 2018 recruiting class: two forwards, both at six foot nine. I think Mueller knows they need help, but unfortunately, the Calvary's not coming until next season. No, and when you look at this roster, you only have David Njai, and that's really your only big man. I mean, you you have Phil Fain. Phil Fain. I mean, Phil yeah, Fain's going to play a lot of minutes down low. But I, and I'm not being crit- too critical over here, Phil, but. He's not a guy that, you know, even mixed in with David Njai. I mean, Phil's a true four. I mean, he's playing the five right now. And I think that's that's tough on a guy like Phil. I mean, he's very athletic. But, I mean, you go back to UCF when he had, you know, his matchup was Taco Fall. I mean, you've seen how he struggled there. Obviously, you're not going to guard many many guys that big, that size. But you get a, you get a true center in the Valley, and you could take advantage of a guy like Phil Fain. I think the concern is Phil Fain might run to foul trouble, and that really hurts the offense as well. He's a really reliable offensive player, can get around the hoop, can get offensive rebounds. And we saw in the last game, he had really improved his offensive ability, it seems. On the positive side for Illinois State, looking to continue to have Keyshawn Evans play well. I think we're going to see William Tinsley really have a nice performance, at least in one of these games. And I think Link Yarborough will probably go off in one of these games as well. I, don't, the, I don't expect him to play like he did against Florida. No. Because I think he was a little... First off, it's his first... It seemed like he was pressing a little bit. It's his bit. first true game. I, I mean, you can count the Lewis exhibition, but you knew that he was going to be head and shoulders more talented than anybody Lewis had to even trot out there. I mean, you could put two of their guys together, and he's probably still not as, as talented as Malik Yarborough. But I think he's going to have a good game. I, I, I don't expect it to be against South Carolina. I think he'll press like kind of like he did to have a big performance in a big game. I mean, it. I mean that's a guy. That's that's the limelight for him. For a guy like Malik Yarbrough, if you could go out there and have a you know and have a great game against a bit, good opponent like that, that's awesome. But it looked like he was pressing a little bit. I think it'll probably come. I think it'll come Friday. I think you got to get this guy two games in. He missed all of last year. Didn't play a single game all of last year. So his first game is Florida Gulf Coast as a Redbird, and, and you know just probably over a year and a half of of sitting out. So. You know, give the guy a little bit of time. Uh, we know what he can do. We've seen what he can do. He's going to be very talented, and like Dan said, he might be one of the best players in the valley. 
it'll be interesting to watch what happens with him moving forward and it'll be interesting to watch as well William Tinsley and a lot of the transfers as they spend more time gelling as a unit I'm really excited to watch a couple of these games everyone's excited to have Redbird Hoops back but it's really exciting to watch a team that does have a lot of pieces and see if they can come together, see if this coaching staff can bring it together. And don't forget this coaching staff has lost a lot of pieces, new. too. It's also brand new. I mean, you lose two guys to Michigan. Brian Reese is the only returner on the assistant side from last year, and they don't even have an associate head coach right now. They have, And I know this seems sort of technical, but an associate head coach is your number one lieutenant. You know, It's your first guy on the bench. Right now, I think that's Brian Reese. It seems like he's been filling that role, but he still has the role of an assistant. And that difference between assistant and associate, I, th- I think, is noticeable. And I think it's unusual for Illinois State not to have it. Uh, I think Muller was put in a difficult situation after Yaklich left pretty late into the cycle. And the thing is, everybody, you've seen how much people kind of respected Yaklich as the associate head coach. I mean, there were times when Dan Muller would stand outside a huddle, you know, in a timeout and let, you know, Yaklich go to work. And, you know, obviously he didn't give him the whole timeout, but he gave him some of it. I don't think you're going to see some of that. I mean, Muller, all he ever did was speak highly of Yaklich. And when he got the job uh, at Michigan, he couldn't have spoke highly. I mean, I'm sure inside he was probably a little upset, you know, because that that was his guy. That was his number one guy. Uh, and obviously he's and a, he he's, brought him over from the high school ranks. And, he really groomed him into the coach that he is. Right, and he's the reason why Yaklich is the reason why a lot of these guys came here. I mean, every single person uh, in the past two years, two three years, has said that you, Luke Yaklich played a huge role in the recruiting, and he was actually the recruiting coordinator for men's basketball. But all the transfers and a couple of the commits have said the reason I'm here is because you, Luke Yaklich, recruited me and is just this amazing coach, and obviously. Dan Muller and the rest of the guys compliment him very well, but the, a lot of the guys said Yak is the reason why they got why he they're here. So a new coaching staff, a new team, a lot to watch for on the men's side and the women's side. A new coach in town as well. Kristen Gillespie makes her Redbird Arena debut and official game. I'm not counting the Eureka Red Devils. Correct. No offense to Ronald Reagan's alma mater. <laughs> uh, now a, a, a Division One opponent, the Norse of Northern Kentucky, come to town. A game this evening against Northern Kentucky. And, Mike, what are you expecting out of this really young, really new team over there on the women's side. Well, Chris and Gillespie's brought a lot of energy and enthusiasm to this program that uh, has been kind of down, I mean, the last four years to say the least. And there wasn't a I mean, the, going back to last year, there wasn't a lot of talk around the women's basketball program at this time of season. Uh, whereas this year, it's a little bit different. People are talking about this team and we're not we're not saying that they're talking about them, that they're going to you know go out and win the Missouri Valley Conference. They're talking about being an improved basketball team, not going out there and getting trounced by you know 25 points night in and night out. And you know, so she's brought this kind of like newfound energy, newfound hope uh, to to Illinois State women's basketball, and you know, obviously unsuccessful in their first game against uh, Oakland. Uh, I, I you know, and the thing is, I don't I don't know much about Northern Kentucky women's basketball, but uh, I know I believe that they lost their first game as well. So they are they are zero and one. They beat Asbury College in an exhibition. They just fell against Kent State, a, a pretty decent MAC opponent, uh, by five points at home. So I, I think that. 
again, Chris Gillespie is going to have her hands full as far as looking at the rest of the season just because this is a rebuild, and, and you see rebuilds don't happen overnight. Uh, she, you know, Everybody says that she's the woman for the job. She brings a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of positivity around the program. And you know, at Media Day, a lot of the girls uh, that I talked to had just said that they're very that she's a very good head coach. She's brought a newfound energy to this team, and and they're 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 on the they're on the upward spiral, and they're 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 going to turn things around. It's just a matter of when. And while you talk about a men's basketball program with a really difficult difficult non conference schedule, the women. I, I think rightly so, have made themselves a little bit easier of a path to try to get some wins. Northern Kentucky comes to town at George Mason, home for University of Missouri-Kansas City, home for SIU-Edwardsville, home for Butler at Milwaukee, and then uh, some trips the home for Eastern Michigan and Cleveland State before they visit the Long Beach State Classic, and Long Beach State is in that tournament, obviously, along with New Mexico State and Northeastern, so... They purposely have not scheduled many Power Five teams. The only team that you consider from a Power Conference is Butler in the in the Big East, and I, I think it's a favorable schedule for Illinois State. I'm still not sure uh, it's enough for them. the The real question is the offensive side. Only 43 points in that win against Oakland, or rather that loss against Oakland. Excuse me. And I'll be honest, neither of us watched the Oakland game just because it was on at the same time as the men's basketball game and the football game was coming in right after it. So didn't get a chance to watch the women as of yet, but. I'm planning on attending tonight's game, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with this women's basketball program. Yeah, I, I, I don't expect them to win many games this season, and that's not a knock on Kristen Gillespie. It's just the fact that, realistically, outside of Paige Saylor, uh, this is the same program. This is the same team that you know Barb Smith had a season ago, and excuse me, they have Simone Goods as well, a, tra- a junior college transfer who had a very nice game, had a double double, but is fouled out in both the Eureka. Exhibition, where how many minutes are you really playing in that? And then you follow it against uh, Oakland on Saturday. So, I mean, you, you add those two girls. Uh, Sailor is going to be a freshman, so expect some growing pains there. But I just don't see a way that this program wins as many games as maybe they're hoping to. Uh, and I think it's going to be a struggle, but I don't think you're going to be as down when talking about this program as we were last year with Barb Smith. Uh, Katrina Beck's a player to watch for me. She was 0 of 13 from the field in that game against Oakland, but a player from the Chicago area. She she is at times we've seen the flashes of what she's capable of. Really hasn't been sustained for her. Another person is Millie Stevens, uh, coming off the bench right now, a post player. Anytime you can have a, a established post player, it's a big skill on the women's side. And Hannah Green, of course. She's really the player from from my perspective that holds it all together for the women's team. Very very solid defensively. Uh, she only had four points in that game against Oakland, and they need her to get going. If she can average a double double or something around that, that would really help this team. When she was healthy last year, they played their best basketball. They played their best basketball, and they were competitive. And this is, I think, one of the things that this program's looking for this season is just to be competitive in a lot of games. And if she's healthy and, and she and, and Kristen Gillespie's not, you know, gonna hide it. There, she the back problem that uh, that Hannah Green is, has is pretty unique. Is the fact that uh, Coach Gillespie said that it's something that sidelined her for some of the off season. They have to be very careful with her as far as practice minute, games minutes. Um, so I, the thing is, if she's healthy, they'll be competitive, uh, and the product on the floor is going to look a lot better if she's healthy. If she's not, then this program, this this team is probably going to look a lot like last year's squad. And you look at what 
Northern Kentucky did just a season ago. They were nine and twenty-two overall, two and eleven on the road, and five and thirteen in Horizon League play. Lost in the first round of their conference tournament to UIC. Uh, so the positives for Illinois State. This is definitely a team that another team that's in, in the midst of a rebuild. So an opportunity for them. I think this could be a competitive game. I think the Redbirds pull out a victory as well. I'll give them a 58-48 victory over Northern Kentucky. Uh, I think I'm going opposite. I, I I still just think that this team's going through a lot of growing pains, and and and, and it's at the early stage of a rebuild. I think it's competitive. Uh, I think they go go on to lose tonight though, 62 to 57. So for Illinois State, really important. Mike, when we just take a look at this overall season, I think what you're really hoping to see is some positive signs of life that can really help the recruiting as well. That's been the biggest thing is Barb Smith, you know, we can talk about her in-game management, but she was known as a very good recruiter, just just really couldn't get the players to come to Illinois State. And obviously when you've been down for a number of years, it's hard to get young players to buy in and hard to get high school players to want to commit here. Uh, and that's probably Christian Gillespie's number one goal is to try to get them to come here. Uh, how important is it for this Redbird team to play well so they can maybe make that happen? Well, the one thing I will say is Kristen Gillespie's done a great job of recruiting so far in the time that she's been here. Uh, they've had seven commitments, uh, not counting the, the letters of intent that came in this, this past week. Uh, two of them are obviously freshmen playing this year. Uh, or I should, excuse me, I should say two of them are a transfer and a freshman playing this year. Five will be on campus next year. And Illinois State's got, they're in the top 75 for wins basketball recruits uh, as far as the recruiting class goes. So Kristen Gillespie's shown the ability to recruit. That's step one, is if you can recruit. Uh, so they, they've got that part down. Now imagine how much easier her recruiting trail is going to be if they can be a competitive team and if she can sell this program as one that can go out and compete for a Missouri Valley Conference title. And I don't think they're that far away. Uh, I, I think they're probably another recruiting class or two away from being able to sell and say, hey, you know what, we're one of the best teams in the Missouri Valley Conference or we have the ability to be the best team in the Missouri Valley Conference. And I think Kristen Gillespie's well on her way to doing so. And I think right now Larry Lyons and company have to be very happy with, with the hire. And, Mike, you look at the players they've brought in in this upcoming recruiting class. A couple are ranked in the top 100 by ESPN. Uh, some really interesting guards and forwards. And it looks like they're trying to add some size as well. So, as we mentioned with the men's team, they're waiting for the, some, the, the cavalry, as I call them, the forwards to come to town. For the women's team, they're just waiting for a whole new group of players. And be interesting to watch this year. Uh, as Kristen Gillespie doesn't really have players to work her system as of yet. She's inheriting players. As mentioned, she brought a couple in. But being interesting to see what happens. And for the Redbird fans, hopefully they go out and support Kristen Gillespie in tonight's matchup against Northern Kentucky. That will do it for this edition of the Redbird Report. We'll come to you in a couple weeks. We're off for Thanksgiving. But as always, stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter. Follow my Mike and myself and Nate Head as well. And follow the Vedette Sports on Twitter. We'll make sure to keep you abreast of everything going on in ISU Sports over there. So signing off from the Vedette offices for Mike Mara, I'm Tom Priceman saying thank you so much for listening and have a great day.